several weeks, we're talking about the, the Scriptures, what Jesus is doing in the Revelation that is the revelation of Christ given to John is in Revelation 17 and 18, the Bible is summarizing uh, the world when the world is going to come to an end at the end of the tribulation. I'm not going to go through all the history, but because it's used in Babylon, it goes back to the Tower of Babel. And this is important for a biblical worldview, okay? So um, it goes back to the Tower of Babel because historically, God dealt with, when, when you're thinking biblically, you know, God dealt with all of mankind, Adam to Noah, okay? And then the flood came and God dealt with, he, he saved one family. 200 years after the flood, there was an event called the Tower of Babel. Now, so God... The flood came, according to history says, the flood came about 1,600 years after creation. So 1,600 years of mankind, a good portion of that, you know, the Bible says in Genesis 6, every heart and every thought and intent of man was continually wicked. And so God judged the world. We know the fallen angels had a lot to do with that. But God judged the world. So now Noah and his family were, were called to spread the word, to talk about the God, the, the God that had saved them and replenish the earth. And so 200 years later, they didn't, they didn't migrate across the world. And so all of a sudden, a guy named Nimrod leads, and really which was the first Antichrist, because he's a world ruler. Kind of the Bible describes it there in Genesis 11. So he, he leads all the, the population, and, and we know it wasn't every human being on the face of the earth, but Nimrod leads this rebellion he knows that God's commands are to replenish the earth. But instead of that, Nimrod leads the nations or the people to gather together and they build a tower. Really, this is, number one, it's to reach the gods that they worship, not the God of heaven, but the gods, the, the gods that they worship. But also, it's to thwart any kind of God's judgment. Let's build a tower to the heavens. It's one of those things, you know, so, so there, was this, there was this incredible rebellion less than 200 years after the flood. And what's significant about that is, is that's the event in history that affects everything today. The world that we live in, and I've, I say this almost every week, the world that we live in, if people do not know Christ, they are descendants of the false beliefs of the Tower of Babel. They're in darkness. God rejected the world. You can read this. Deuteronomy tells us this. Genesis tells us this, that he, he disengaged from the world. It was a final rebellion. He was sick of the world, and so he gave them over to the angels. And then a, a few years later, he calls a man. His name was Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And, of course, you read the rest of the Old Testament. You go, he was a man, and he didn't even have a family, but he eventually has a family. And then that family is taken into captivity in Egypt, and when they come out of Egyptian bondage, they're a nation. There's hundreds of thousands of them. And God dealt with that nation, and it was through that nation that they would proclaim the truth of the God of Israel to the world. But they failed. 
But now the world, every, every conceivable person is living in the darkness that's not saved, that's living in the darkness of the Tower of Babel. So when you get to, to Revelation 17 and 18, this is really the culmination of the fruits of the Tower of Babel. And of course, the book of Revelation, and it's just a summary of the wickedness of man. Revelation 17 is about the religious Babylon. How Now think about this. After the rapture, and I, I, know, I know we're out of time. And I, I'm aware of the clock, okay? I, I'm aware. But after the rapture, you have the seven years of tribulation, there is still going to be a massive religious movement during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And Revelation 17 talks about that. It's called, it's called the, the, the prostitute, the great... It's this false religion. So we've read it several times. We'll read just a couple of verses in a minute. But, Rev, but Revelation 17 <coughs> is describing God's judgment on the, on the religious Babylon that's going to be going on during the seven years of tribulation, but really is alive right now, okay? And then Revelation 18 is the political Babylon or the material Babylon that God's going to judge, which is really alive today. And so Revelation 17 and 18 are describing God's final judgment on mankind without God. That's what it's describing. So with your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 17, I just want to read a couple of verses. And, uh, and really I want to look at the big picture. I've just got four or five minutes and I just want to look at the big picture for just a second. Um, beginning at Revelation chapter 17, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now, again, I think, now this is, the church has been raptured. There's, there's, when, in the, and when the tribulation is divided into to two sections, there's three and a half years, the first three and a half years, there's a peace treaty and there's world peace, okay? And, and of course, we know, we, you know, what starts, and again, I, I'm redundant, okay? But maybe you haven't been here in a week and, and, or you haven't heard me say this, so... I'll act like it's new. What starts the tribulation is not the rapture. The rapture takes place. And folks, there are multitudes of rapture. You know, the, the word rapture, catching up, is kind of usually how it's phrased in the Bible. A catching away or catching up. There's seven or eight raptures in the Bible, right? Where somebody was caught up. And then that word's used for us in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 that we're called up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll be with the Lord forever. Philip was raptured. Paul was raptured. Jesus was raptured. As a matter of fact, Revelation 12 says when Jesus ascended, the, the word rapture is used in Revelation chapter 12, and it's describing Jesus when he was ascended into heaven. Enoch was raptured. Elijah was raptured. Elisha was raptured. So being called up, that, that's what that was. So the rapture does not start the tribulation. After the rapture happens, after the church, the bride of Christ is taken out of the way. Uh, and of course, 1 Thessalonians teaches this, 1 Corinthians. When the church is taken out of the way, what starts, what starts the tribulation is when the Antichrist, this, so you have this, this, this confusion going on in the world, on the scene becomes a, one, a man who 
who becomes a, a leader of the world. And, of course, we now know him as the Antichrist, but most often he's described as the beast. But this, this individual who, along with about a ten-nation uh, support, signs an agreement with Israel that the world is going to be at peace with Israel. And it's interesting that of all the people in the world that's going to need a peace treaty, it's going to be Israel, God's people, right? But he signs a peace treaty. That begins what is known as the tribulation. So what begins the tribulation? Because you don't know, after the rapture, there may be six months of political confusion, whatever. They may have to go through election somewhere. But eventually the Antichrist is going to take place, or the beast is going to take his place, and he's going to lead Israel to sign a peace treaty. And when he signs that peace treaty, that marks the beginning of a seven-year period known as the tribulation, or known to the Jews as a time of Jacob's trouble. The first three and a half years is not as bad as the last three and a half years because Jesus himself, quoting Daniel, says that the last three and a half years are known as the Great Tribulation, and it is marked by an event called the Abomination of Desolation. That e- an Abomination of Desolation is when in the middle of the Tribulation, the Antichrist, this one world ruler, goes to Israel, goes into the temple, and rejects the covenant that he had signed with Israel, And then he demands to be worshipped by the world. Now, for three and a half years, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, there will be some judgments. We believe that the the, uh, sealed judgments probably will be taking place during the first three and a half years. But the major judgments have not come yet. But in the midst of the Antichrist ruling, there is going to be this incredible religious movement It's going to be almost a one-world religion. The Bible calls it the great prostitute. The great great prostitute. Because it teaches something that's false. But you have to understand that in those three and a half years, after the church has been gone, there's going to be a one-world religion that's going to sell the world a bill of goods. Now remember, in that first three and a half years, what has not happened? Well, the, the uh, abomination of desolation hasn't happened and the Antichrist hasn't started demanding the mark of the beast. So in that first three and a half years, other than the chaos from God pouring out some judgments on the world, there, there's going to be this false prophet working with the Antichrist that's going to form this one world religion. And that one world religion is going to sell the world a bill of goods. But in the middle of the tribulation, when the Antichrist stands in the holy place and demands to be worshipped, he himself will reject that religious and then that religion because he's going to claim to be God. So even though it's a false religion, he's going to claim to have authority over that false religion. And then he's going to demand that everybody on the face of the earth pledge allegiance to him by taking a mark. Okay? So when you get to Revelation 17 and 18, it really, it really shows you the, the condition of mankind from the spiritual standpoint and the material standpoint. It's a great summary of where man is. But what I have to tell you is we're living in the days of Babylon now. And we've been living in the days of Babylon since the Tower of Babel. And except for the 
the Word of God and salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, people are living in the darkness of Babylon. This is just the fruits of that. When you get to Revelation 17 and 18, it's just the fruits of the darkness that people live in. God is merciful. Now let me just, let's just think for a second about where we are in history. And I mentioned this last week. It's not time to cash it in. It's time to get pumped about the opportunities that are before us. I am convinced, and, and of course, I, I may live another hundred, well, I won't live a hundred years. I may live another 20 years and Jesus may not come back, but I am convinced we're living in last days. But I'm also convinced we're, you know, in Revelation, I'm, I'm going to go over. I'm going to have the clock right in front of me. I'm going to go over, okay? But I'm not going to feel guilty about it because I just told you I'm going over, okay? In, in Matthew's Gospel, you, remember, in, well, I mentioned it last week, in, in, in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 24, Jesus mentioned that in the last days, he, so in the last days, which and when we say the last days, he talks about a pregnant woman, the, the birth pains. The birth pains are describing even the day that we're living in now. But when he, he gets a little bit further and he says, that, that's the first part of Matthew 24, he gets a little bit further and then he says, as it was in the days of Noah. Now I want you to listen to me real closely. I mentioned this last week. Matthew, and he, Mark, uh, Mark says this, that Jesus said it, and Luke says Jesus said it. In this Olivet Discourse, Jesus is teaching on the end of days. Okay, now listen, it's very important, and I'm going to just talk about this one point, and we'll close. So in Matthew's Gospel, also in Luke and in Mark, he's, rec he's reported as saying, he's recorded as saying, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So part of it is just Noah's day ended with the flood. And of course we know that God eventually, so God, the first judgment came by water, right? And, and, and again, that's one reason why we want to go to Answers. In, we below, love what Answers in Genesis does because they defend the Bible from the very first verse. God judged the world the first time with water, right? Right? We believe in a worldwide flood. The next time God judges the world, He will judge it by fire, right? Now, He won't pour out all that fire during the tribulation, although when you're reading the book of Revelation, and especially when you get to the bold judgments, you see a lot of fiery judgments, much like the, the events of Sodom and Gomorrah, where He poured hail, I mean, hailstones. I mean, so there, but eventually, He's going to purge the world and then make a new heaven and a new earth. But when Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah... In addition to the wickedness of man, let me tell you what's interesting about this. Another reason why I believe it's the last days, and, and, and I am serious about this, and this is an odd way of looking at it. For, I think it's odd, because I am odd. But, but I want you to think about this. One of the other prophecies right there in Matthew, Jesus says, when you see the fig tree budding, you'll know that the day is at hand. Well, the fig tree is Israel, right? Okay. Well, when Jesus said that, Rome ruled Israel. But, do you remember in 1948, many of you were still were alive then, you know, Israel became a nation, right? A nation, literally, a nation was born in a day. And so, 
when the Bible says, when Jesus says, when you see the fig tree budding, Israel started budding in 1948. So people that studied the Bible, that made them stand up and start taking notice because it began to make sense. Israel now has their identity back. Because a lot of the prophecies, you know, ultimately the, the, the tribulation is about God pouring His wrath out on the world. It is. He says that. His wrath is poured out undiluted. That's what it says. But the primary reason for the tribulation is not to punish sin, though it is. The main reason is to bring Israel to repentance. Because during the tribulation, towards the end of it, Israel is going to call on Jesus Christ to save them. Amen. And he will. And that's when he comes back the second time at what we know as the Battle of Armageddon. But when we, when we go back, so the fig tree is budding. Israel's a nation. There's more people, more Jews living in Israel than ever before, you know, back in the land. So the fig tree's been budding. But something else that's happened since then, since the, Israel's back in the land, was uh, a year before that in Israel, I've been there, they discovered, that, and again, I'm talking about the days of Noah and the fig tree. So we know the fig tree's budding. I, I'm, I'm over. Hold on. The fig tree's budding as it was in the days of Noah. A year before Israel became a nation, there was a discovery in a place called, called the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's in a community called the Qumran. It's in the middle of the desert uh, in, in an area called the En Gedi. It's just as a sandy area. But they found all these manuscripts. Okay, A bunch of the manuscripts were, were history books related. Now listen to me. They were a bunch, and that's not all biblical text. Now, they found thousands of biblical uh, manuscripts. But several of the other manuscripts they found in, in 1947 were, were history commentaries written about the days of Noah. Listen to me. And many of those books, and they're extra biblical books, they're not inspired, but they're history books. And even though the book of Genesis describes, I mean, it describes the days of Noah in two chapters. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, there are history books that have hundreds of chapters that describe the details about the days of Noah. When it comes to the wickedness of the fallen angels and the wickedness of man. And, and so in those, isn't it interesting? That Jesus would say, as it was in the day. And so those days of Noah had been somewhat forgotten until these books were rediscovered. They're like the book of Jasher, Jasher uh, the book of Giants, the book of Enoch. They're all history books, and they all deal with the days of Noah and why God judged the world. Well, folks, that's light upon this world for us. To me, see, that's a mark. That's a sign that, that Christ, he's prepared. The, the fig tree is budding. We're in the days, of, uh, the days of Noah. And so now for about 180 years, we've had more revelation than we've ever had about those days of Noah. I think the Shroud of Turin, you may not even know what I'm talking about, the burial cloth of Christ. It may or may not be the burial cloth of Christ. But I think it is. The Shroud of Turin. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It, 
until a guy took a photograph and got the negative back and you could see the imprint of a crucified man on the... And it's called, it's supposedly, and it looks like it may be, I think it is, the burial cloth of Christ. To me, that is a reminder that it's just affirming over and over again the, the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ is who he says he is, and Christ is coming soon. Amen? I want you to stand with me. And I just want to read this, and, and I, I'm not going to... Um, Several things I want to say, but let me read this, and if I read it, I'll be succinct, okay? Otherwise, I'll talk forever. I'm remind you, we are going to continue to give this week. Hey, isn't it great that Lindsay came home, or is home, or came home today, amen? That's incredible, man. If they're listening, we love, we love Lindsay and, and Rick, amen? They're kids. What a, what a great, merciful act God did for her, and Wow. Hopefully we're providing food for them or we will. I don't know how. Anyway, you, you handle that. I, let, me, let me move on. Now we're in religious Babylon. This is, I broke this based on Revelation 17, and I'll close with this. In an effort to divert the world's attention from the, from the uh, troubling disappearance of millions and millions of people, to divert the world's attention from the disappearance of millions and the supernatural judgments that seem to be falling, the devil, who is the deceiver, will welcome and affirm the message of the false prophet. Through his demonic rhetoric, the world will celebrate a new universal religion. It's a new Catholicism. Let me tell you what's interesting. The word Catholic, right? Of course, you know, we're Protestants. We're explaining that to somebody this week, Diane and I. You say, what's the difference in Catholic? Well, Catholics and then a Protestant comes from the word protest. 1500s, we didn't believe in what... But the word Catholic is the word universal, right? So there will be a universal church during the tribulation. Catholicism will be alive during the tribulation. Not the Catholicism we know, right, right now. But it's going to be Catholicism. The word Catholic means universal. There will be a one universal religion... On the face of the earth. Let me read. Read on. He will welcome and affirm the message of the false prophet. And through his demonic rhetoric, the world will celebrate a universal religion. The new Catholicism will welcome all vain philosophies, all vile passions and self-worship, and hedonism. It will even welcome the unholy unions and political correctness. However, looming in the dark shadows of these doctrines of demons is the new world master that all will be forced to worship and serve. Now the world must worship the Antichrist. Now the world must take the mark of the beast. Yes, the Antichrist will shock the world. Because you remember, he is now alive from the dead. And now he's in total control by the power of Satan of the whole world. It's right in the middle of the tribulation. Two things have happened. The Antichrist, it seems, the Bible says, he has risen from the abyss. He was dead but made alive. He comes back and it says he comes out of the abyss. So the power of Satan gives him life. He kills the two witnesses, the two great witnesses. So he has great political power. And then all of a sudden he stands in the temple of God, a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, and he demands to be worshipped. 
Folks, it is the spirit of the Antichrist that is alive today, right? And you know what Robbie read? We were going to go there. If you're in love with the world, you're in love with the spirit of the Antichrist. We need to purge ourselves from the love of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the church. Father, we thank you for the Gideons. We're grateful for your word. We, we know the power of the word. We know that faith cometh by hearing in hearing by the word of God. There is salvation in no other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Father, help us to be gospel people. Father, I'm glad we're going to buy some Bibles. But Lord, I pray that all of us will be a Bible everywhere we go. We'll be sharing the truth of the gospel. Lord, just as the angel said, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Our desire is for you to return to this world. Father, to fix things, to reign and rule. We anticipate you catching us away soon. We want to occupy. We want to serve until you come. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. See you Wednesday night for Covered Dish.